That didn't sound right. Start that over. Everybody, welcome to the Grace Garage Pod with Coach Jason Pridmore, presented by Bike911.com. If you need some stuff this time of the year, need some attorney stuff, got a contract, maybe you're a little bit of legal trouble, yeah, yeah, you got in a motorcycle accident or something, reach out, Bike911.com. Alex Asante will handle you. It's a motorcycle enthusiast, just like you are, and he wants to help you, especially if you're in the state of California. But... Welcome, everyone, to the podcast. I'm Greg White. On with me is Jason Pridmore, who is balls deep into his phone right now, as he was, always is. Was. I'm always was. paying attention, G-Dub. Yeah, you're paying I'm attention. I'm always paying right. attention. You're gambling. No, there was, a, there, was a, uh, there was a huge accident on PCH about two weeks ago. Uh, Simon lives down on the northern side of Malibu. Like He's the northest that you could be because Malibu is like a 25 mile stretch right they call it Malibu but he's on the north end of it and he was going to come meet me off of Canaan and there was a huge accident involving a Harley Davidson and this and that and I just had it sent to me on Instagram this guy sitting at uh he's sitting at the light I know you know the road Canaan road off Mm -hmm. of the one anyways he's he's getting ready to make a left to go Canaan like back towards Agura and he's sitting at the so light. He's coming down south and he's going to ready to take a left. <clears throat> he's literally on Highway 1 coming mm-hmm. south, getting ready to make a left on Canaan. And he's sitting there at the traffic light, just sitting there, sitting there, sitting there. And a truck or something runs the red light. It looks like the guy had no brakes because you can't. Oh, my. Because coming down Canaan, there's nowhere for you to go straight. You either got to turn right or you got to turn left. And this poor guy in the yeah, Harley straight and you go right into the ocean, right? I said the two. It's pretty gnarly. Yeah. But anyways, hey everybody, how's everybody doing? Sorry. <laughs> so how was your uh, how was your week plus with Steve English? I mean, obviously we had him on the podcast. Thanks to everybody who downloaded and listened to that podcast. It's been a very popular one. He created a lot of insight for us. But so how was uh, how was your visit with Steven? It was great. I mean, the guy's so solid. He's such a good dude, and he has so much great insight and knowledge of what's going on over there. Um, you know, it's it's GW. It's a lot like talking to you in our paddock. You know everything that's happening here. Um, and you know, the thing for Steve is he's got his hands in so many pots over there. Like the amount of time he's on air compared to what you and I are on air. Um, uh, he, he knows about a a lot of the stuff and a lot of the teams. Um, and I think too, um, the fact that, that he has his hands even in the MotoGP side of things, because he knows so many riders, you know, and he does the Spanish series over there as well. So he sees a lot of the kids moving from, Spain to the world championships, be it Moto three or, or, um, you know, world super sport three hundreds over there. So he sees a lot of movement, uh, of players over there and has a lot of, uh, really good insight on that. But it was a weird week because I have a lot of, I had a lot of work going on this week. It's just the way it, it kind of planned it's played itself out. And, um, so I was, I was trying to work, well, I'll take Steve to some cool places, like just to go golf because he's a golf nut. And um, so it was, it was, there was a lot of things happening. Hmm. So that's good, man. Yeah. Okay, I mean, I, I, to... I'll tell you right now, G Dub, like we've did got you get to the football game Sunday. <clears throat> we no? did. Yeah. We went down and we, uh, you know, Sunday morning, I took him to one of my really good friends' restaurants here in Camarillo. We watched all the Sunday morning football games. And then we left there. American drove, football, of course. Yeah, American. Because we're, we're, we're watching all the World Cup, too. We had uh, Simon and David came up 
last Saturday for the World Cup, the English match against France, which England lost. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we went down Sunday. We went down to um, a friend of mine's. And then I went down to the Chargers-Dolphins game at SoFi Stadium. And that place is insane. I mean, I mean – Everywhere, everywhere that's building new stadiums, if they keep trying to outdo each other, that place is, it's wild. So hmm. uh, it'd be crazy to see if they ever have a Supercross or anything there. Um, it's a pretty wild spot. I mean, I know you went to probably the old Foxborough a few times, you know? Oh, yeah. And all that stuff. But I mean, like these stadiums now that you go to, it's just... Well, the way new, Gillette, the you haven't ones. been to Gillette, you haven't been to no. Gillette Stadium, right? No. So it's it's actually at a place called Patriot Place. And so okay. what they've done is they actually built a mall around the stadium. So in the oh, old wow. days, it was just a stadium. Like if you go to Green Bay Packers, it's just Lambeau. a stadium inside of a neighborhood. You go to Lambeau, yeah. And, and now what basically the New England Patriots do is so, – so it generates traffic all year long. You know, the, the, yeah. the actual yeah, yeah. building. Itself. That's wild. So you have, wild, you have yeah. the pro shop that's attached to it. You have the Hall of Fame stuff for the Patriots you can go into. But then there's just like normal stores. And additionally, we've talked about this before – um, that professional Call of Duty League, there's a new team that popped up, the Boston Breach, and they the primary investors are the Kraft family, which owns the New England Patriots. So their offices are at Patriots Place. So the players get to go every day and and you know for their team and everything and go to where the stadium is. So I think you know the idea 15, 20 years ago was instead of having a, like a high school football stadium that just lives on its own, let's go ahead and create a community around where this thing is. And so I don't know if SoFi was like that, but, you know, because there just looks like there's a lot of stuff around SoFi Stadium. But well, I don't know if they have a mall or anything, but it looks so impressive. It doesn't have any of that, but it's 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 an impressive place once you get inside there, um, just the way the stadium is built. And, uh, you know, it's right next to the Forum. So there's not like a mall or anything around it. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. But, but so uh, that's but 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 there's other activities going on. And now the reason I bring this up, Jay, is because as we get along in the future and how this relates to motorcycle <laughs> racing is a bunch of you are shaking your heads right now and getting all pissed off because we're not talking about motorcycles. But as we look to the future of racetrack, especially racetracks that are going to accommodate motorcycles, what we're finding is, is that these new tracks that are coming out and I'm doing tracks in air quotes, right, Jay? They are incorporating a lot more stuff. They're incorporating a lot more activities, whether it's go kart stuff, whether it's a keeping shopping people experience. entertained, yeah, keep keeping people entertained. entertained. Yeah. These new tracks have li- places that people are going to live, have yeah. community centers in them, and stuff like that. So it's got to be vital for us as a community to look beyond the racetrack and say, okay, if we are coming to a, a place like this new track in Tennessee that's coming out, or maybe yeah. we go to the new track in Casa Grande, and they have these years of development where they're going to be doing all this stuff, adding little strip malls and Starbucks on site and do how can we leverage that and be more than just entertainment on the racetrack? How do we, as a, as a race group, you know, Moto America or whatever, you know, take advantage of what's there and what's offered as they start to build communities around these places. So yeah, yeah, that's where it's going to be interesting because you're going to have to have, you're going to have to have racetrack minded people. Jay, as a guy who's been around racetrack since you were a baby, literally, yeah. how many tracks do you know of that come off the top of your head that are closed because of either premier land because things have grown that way or because people have grown communities to the racetrack and then said noise let's go ahead and close this racetrack down because of noise right i mean a ton g-dub i mean and it's worldwide it's a worldwide issue it's not just an american issue like when you start to talk about and you think about things like uh like laguna seca it's it is so wild to me that laguna seca really is even still there i mean it's a mainstay it's a historical site but 
the amount of complaints that go on because of Laguna Seca. It's a campground. It's a park. It's this and that, whatever you want to call it. But you look at a track like Brno. I mean, Brno is literally, I don't know of a rider that's ever ridden Brno. And I'm speaking about world championships at, at from MotoGP to World Superbike to World Endurance. They've all been there. I don't know a rider that would tell you that Brno wasn't probably in their top five best tracks they ever rode. It is amazing. And it's going to be apartment buildings now. It's going to be everybody's talked to me about how Bruneau's closing and it's gone. And it's and you know the community of Bruneau has moved closer and closer to the track, and it's pretty wild when you think about it. Because every time I see World Superbike go to that new track, most and I go, "Are you kidding?" Like, and Bruneau's not that far away from there. An hour or two, I think someone told me. But you sit there and you think that place is garbage. Like, you look at a couple of the new tracks that 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 world Superbike has gone to and you're like, they're, they're nothing. And yet you got great racetracks like Bruno and stuff being closed down. But I think, you know, we are in the world of entertainment. People want to be entertained all the time. People want to look at their phones every second that you have, you're simulating your brain to do something. And, um, you know, it's, 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 you know, Supercross. That's why Supercross is just so good. Cause you can go to a stadium like SoFi, be entertained, sit in one seat, not have to move around. You got a lot of things going on around you. And, we were laughing because we're sitting in the seats there watching the game. And during all the commercial breaks, we're sitting there thinking, man, you know, when you're at home, commercial comes on. What do you do, G-Dub? What are you doing a commercial? Look on comes your phone. On? Look, look on, on your phone. phone change up, channels some to food, something else. Change the channels. You're doing. Go take a pee. Like, you go do something <clears throat> so, else, right? So, it, so there's always something. Like, the second a commercial comes on, boom, we're out. We're doing something for that three minutes or two minutes or whatever it is. And it's like, there, you're stuck. You're sitting in the seats. And they've just got... It's a party atmosphere. They've got they've got music playing. They have DJ playing. They have so much stuff going on during commercial breaks to keep people entertained. And you know, and it wasn't always like that. You know, you think back twenty years ago, thirty years ago, when football was getting started. You know, TV games probably went a lot quicker and things like that because TV just uh, TV just dominates things, keeping people stimulated. So I remember I got, in the NFL yeah. when they actually referees actually had to call TV timeouts and, and mm-hmm. it's, it, it, it's standard today, but it's, it's interesting to, to be involved in other sports and listening to these niche sports complain about television. And, right. and um, like archery is one thing I'm in archery and in order for, for it to be more attractive on television, they need to change the format a little bit in order to make it entertaining. And these archers are pushing back. They're like, ah, oh, that's not, yep. you know, it's not the way it is. The sport was invented in the 1980s and it's the way it's been. It's like, yeah, but you have to transform for TV. And they're like, this one guy says to me a couple of years ago, what sports ever transform for TV? And I'm like, all, all of them, yeah. all of them have done something. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not baseball. Okay. I don't know if baseball's made any changes that benefit TV other than, I mean, if you watch but a baseball game, baseball's so Gabe, slow anyways, right? It's so slow. But, but I remember the first time they put a headset on a team manager in the middle of a game. I think it was during the seventh inning stretch and they put a headset on him and the booth yeah. got to talk to the manager. And I was like, yeah. what? Like, oh my gosh. And now if you watch the NFL, you they have like quarters. after the first quarter and you're just like, yeah. dude, I don't want to hear from the coach, but you know, they do it in the NBA. Like there's always a sport that innovates. And so like we, as a sport are, are, I mean, it's very exciting, right? Our TV is, it's exciting to watch racing. There are improvements that need to be made that, that need money, right? Like, you know, more onboards and stuff. The amount of budget that goes into MotoGP for their onboard cameras is insane. Yeah. It's insane. I how think- many ounces now they have cameras on their suits and stuff like, like, I'm willing to bet that the budget for cameras, Jason, whether it's suits, all the stuff they have on the bikes and everything is probably about as helicopters. Big as TV. 
helicopters, the TV budget, it, it, that that alone just for just for the onboard stuff is probably about as big as Moto America spends on their TV package all year long. Yeah, it's which well, is a lot of money. A lot of money. It's a lot of money, and it's going out worldwide. And it's yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just a lot of. That's things what I'm saying. They have to travel all that crew specifically. You know what I mean? They have to get yeah. the leathers early. They have to do all that. like it's a pretty complicated deal. So people often will say like, "Well, look what MotoGP is doing." It's like, "Hey, man, MotoGP in terms of their TV coverage has been an evolution." You you yeah. for three years worked with a couple of the directors from MotoGP, and they analyze after each race, after each year, what can we do a little bit better. So they've evolved into this. Okay, we'll we'll spend a little bit more on budget a little bit more it's hard as a racing series i think for you to especially moto america which only started in 2015 to sit there and say uh, i think we should probably just set aside 20 million dollars a year for for broadcasting you know or whatever yeah. number it is. yeah you know you yeah. have to evolve into it and continuously justify the deal but anyway we, we got way off topic there um well but i just think that you know with and even like you say do you remember gw when we were doing tv where people would be like man i wish we could be commercial free and now we actually have the uh, you know the ability to, to, to do that like it's yeah yeah, yeah, it's really good, and and you know, with the Moto America live stream, live stream stuff, it's great because you can literally get on there and watch all day if you're that big of an enthusiast and you want to see every single thing going on, or if you've got a, you know, if you've got a friend or or a family member racing or doing something, you can really keep track of people a lot more. Now there's so many things with streaming and things that are so much more available to us, and again, it's that entertainment value of being able to keep our brain stimulated and watch whatever we want to watch all the time. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see when we have these two Moto America races that are um, uh, the super sport races that are going to be like 50 to 55 minute races with a mandatory pit stop. Yeah. In, in talking with the producers and stuff in Moto America, the way, depending on which network it's going to air on, we are going to have to just by doing an hour and a half show with a 50 minute race and the amount of commercial time and everything, we're probably going to be forced to take a break in that race. Okay? Yeah. So, It'll it'll be interesting to see what people's reaction is once a one single commercial comes back. Where in the heyday of it all, when you were racing, when Speeds was there, Milan oh, was there, two thousand seven, yeah. we had a you know a, a 35, 40 minute race, and we would take two or three commercial breaks during brutal. that one race. Yeah, yeah, you know, but you you had to yeah, do it. You had and, to do it back then. Yeah, yeah, and so now I think with the advent of the internet and stuff, that these networks like you know they know that they compete with streaming and so with our partnership with fox sports and with uh mav tv the 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 ability to have 32 minute races commercial free like flag to flag stuff is it's a bigger deal than people they take it for granted now you know well yeah you do and it's gotta still remember what's what's paying to keep us on there you know as far as the commercial side of it so i you know i it's 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 gonna be fun and what did we do with the 200 last year when did the day 200 we did that we all the way to all, all during the 200. Yeah, we have to. It's a two and a half hour broadcast. So we, but, we take breaks in and out. Yeah. Okay. I just, it was funny because I remember you and I literally when that race was getting ready to start, we're like, whoa, 57 laps. It's going to take forever. And it went by so quick. <laughs> it went by so quick because we had a great race to a great call. Race. Great race. And I mean, man, more like, what are we like three months away from that right now? Yeah. Yeah. yeah January, it's, February, it's coming March. up fast. I mean, it's, it's pretty wild. Christmas coming up. I got a big week ahead of me. I'm heading out to Chuckwalla tomorrow. Uh, or tonight, maybe I'm still trying to decide. I've had some stuff going on, but Femwalla on Friday. Is Femwalla this to- weekend? Oh man, yeah. I love that event. It's so yeah, good watching. Yeah, I'm going to Femwalla. It's you I don't be know doing how many years I've been doing it. Going to do two up rides. I haven't done two, a lot of two up rides in a while. So, but I'm going to be doing two up rides on Friday, and then got our last weekend out there of like SoCal track days. 
last weekend. And uh, I know your brother's coming out, so I'm pumped to see Jeff White. And Oh, Jeff White's coming out. That's right. Our boy Doug Lincoln's coming out, which is cool. Wow. Everybody's asking about G-Dub, back. but G-Dub just, uh, very yeah, nice. G-Dub just, you know. I was thinking about it, but I, I hesitate to tell you what I'm doing this weekend because I know you're going to give me a bunch of shit about it. However, Eating I'm going to anyway. Skittles? No. 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 Can you I'm keep it short? If it's anything to do with archery, keep it short. It's not archery. Okay. And it's not um, motorcycles. What does that it's leave? It's not motorcycles. It's not archery. It's not motorcycles. It's going to have something to do with online gaming. The Call of Duty League, yeah, Professional Gaming League, their first major tournament of the year is right here in Raleigh this week. Oh, that's right. You said you were going to go to that. Yeah, and yeah, And I yeah. bought a freaking four-day pass because I don't know which oh, day I'm going to go or whatever. So I bought a pass. It starts tomorrow, I think, 15th, thir- <sighs> Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. How so far away like from 20- your house is it? How far away 25 minutes away. Oh, you're golden. Yeah, great. Tomorrow night, actually, Alonzo, Alonzo, comedian Alonzo Bowden is in town here in Raleigh as well. And we're supposed to go to lunch tomorrow when he gets in town, I think. Uh, yep. He's a big motorcycle enthusiast and he's big got a motorcycle guy. Yeah. Yeah. Alonzo's got a special that's that's streaming live on YouTube or, you know, is is available on YouTube for free or whatever. And it's it's he's pretty damn funny. So he I saw on his Twitter that he was coming to Raleigh and uh, Matthew Miles from Revit, um, who's like the marketing guy for Revit and former Cycle Worlds or Cycle News, wait, no, Cycle World, sorry, um, editor. He lives here in Raleigh, too, so he's going with his wife. But yeah, I was going to take someone with me. Unfortunately, um, by the time I learned about it, which was two weeks ago, uh, there were nothing but, like, scattered seats all around. So I don't even think I get it. Like, it's sold out, so I, I don't even have a ticket to go watch the show. Oh, so I'm bummed about right, that. Well. But hopefully I get to see him. But, yeah, Call of Duty League, I support Boston Breach who, of course, is owned by the Kraft family, New England Patriots, all that kind of stuff. So I don't think I do have a Boston Breach sweatshirt that I travel with sometimes, and I have a Boston Breach hat. But I don't think I'm going to fanboy out. I think I'm going to go incognito. Yeah, you do that. Go with a a Grace Grogs t-shirt or something like that, you know, back in the day. So Moto America, let's do our news presented by Arai. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so I'm not even going to do the song. I mean, basically this whole... Pretend that the song is happening. this (laughs) This whole podcast is really you know, news presented by Arai because we're going to be talking about a variety of things that have popped up on the internet. First and foremost, Jay, let's talk about some Moto America stuff because it was announced recently that Altus Motorsports is adding some riders to its stable of racers, including our boy, Bazooka Joe. Joe LaMondry Jr. is going to be riding for Altus on a Yamaha R7 in Revit Twins Cup. Additionally, they have added Alessandro DeMario. Alessandro DeMario currently is 13 years old. He is the 2022 North American Talent Cup champion, and he won the 2022 Nikki Hayden AMA Horizon Award. And he will be racing a Ninja 400. Uh, I don't know when his birthday is, though. I have to find that out. But I don't. I haven't really read the press release to see if he's 14 by the time the season starts. But I would imagine he would be. So, Jay, what do you think about the addition to Altus Motorsports? Um, I'm trying to. They they also let's see. They're doing Stock 1000 and Superbike Cup, right, as well? Yeah, they did Stock 1000. Well, they, that's what they have done. I'm, I'm excited for Joe. I mean, to start with, he was exciting in the, in our Junior Cup stuff, and he's very driven. And I know he's gone through a big surgery during the offseason to get his knee sorted because um, a lot like um, Kayla last year, he was, he was riding pretty injured all year long. So he had a pretty mm-hmm. major knee surgery as soon as the season was finished and he's been at home recovering, I've been in touch with him. He's doing well. 
I'm excited to see his progress on a on Twins Cup next year uh, with Altus on that R7. He also, I mean, the kid rips on an R6. We I saw him at Barber at the end of the year uh, on an R6, an old one. But, you know, between him and his dad, his dad's a great guy. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that I think this is a great next step for him. And um, Altus has proven to be able to put competitive motorcycles out in every class we've seen them race in. So let's hope that that continues. And, you know, um, man, that that Twins Cup class this year, G-Dub, is going to be <laughs> it's going to be like it is every year. It's going to be stacked, you know. I mean, again, I'll say it. This is a class where four or five years ago, where when this this class was kind of starting, we were sitting there thinking to ourselves, "Oh, you know, it's you know, where's this class going to evolve to?" And it is really, it really has evolved. And manufacturers, been a few of them, have really got behind it, and uh, it's going to be competitive. All right. So next up, Jay, let's talk a little bit of. World Superbike, World Supersport, Moto America kind of tied together. This one's yeah. going to get a, a little bit lengthy because the MIE racing team, which races in World Superbike, Midori Morawaki, who we've known, I've known her since the 90s. She came over here to work with Team Hammer, which is John Ulrich's crew for a season or two uh, to learn our aspect of racing. So that was during the time when I was racing. Midori Morawaki runs the program. Uh, and they've had they've been in Superbike. They hired 27-year-old uh, Taryn McKenzie from BSB to race in world super sport. Now they have Honda ties. So they're going to be racing the CBR 600 RR. A lot of the people in the States initially are like, why would he go race that old bike? Nobody's raced it in world <laughs> super sport in a while. Yeah. But what people don't realize, Jay, and I, I don't think you did either. When we talked about I this didn't. offline is that Honda launched a new CBR 600 RR in Japan. It's a Japanese only motorcycle. They have winglets on the 600. I think they're the first 600 with winglets. It has winglets. They introduced it in 2021. Uh, it has updated uh, internals in the motor. So they say stock. It makes 120 yeah. with the internals in the motor. And it's throttle by wire. Plus, they got like some some more electronics. So that bike is enough units where it is legal in world super sport. And so I, I believe it's going through in talking with, uh, with Teague Dane, who is uh, the AMA technical director or Moto America technical director. Talking with him, they're in the process of homologating uh, this bike as well for Moto yeah. America because they're so closely tied. And, you know, I think, look, you know, if I had to guess, Jay, the way things are going right now with Moto America and World Superbike, as the rules continue to get closer and closer, it's not going to be very long, maybe 2024, 2025, when we see pretty much identical rules. I think there's a couple things yeah. that have to happen in Moto America. But Supersport, with next-generation Supersport bikes and everything that's going on there, I can totally see where it's going to be the same. You know, it'll be the same thing. But yeah. I wanted to kind of – so I went to the FIM's website, and I looked up the homologation because, you know, this is something I've been thinking about. So the, the CBR600RR, which is the MC51 is the model code. That's the newer one. That That was legal in March of 2022, and that'll be legal for homologation until until 2030. Uh, you have the Penagali V2, right? Which obviously Josh Heron won on. Yeah. The, Kawas the Kawasaki ZX6R um, that got rehomologated. So that's actually homologated now, Jay, until April of 2030. Okay. Then you have the MV Augusta. And this is where things get really interesting, Jay. The F3800RR, that's about a $26,000 motorcycle. And then they have something called the Super Veloce, which is the same thing, just kind of with like cafe style bodywork on it. Yeah. That's approved until April, you know, April of, of 30 as well. Okay. That bike, 
if you've seen the news, KTM just bought 21% of MV Augusta. And part of that deal from, as I understand it, is is that now you're going to see MV Augusta being distributed and available for any dealership that that has KTMs. And KTM now USA is going to be involved. So the question is, does anyone get an MV Augusta F3 800RR and race it next year? Is KTM slash MV interested? Because if you look at the rules, it's about a $2,000 kit to upgrade that motor to make it braceable. It's transmission Mm -hmm. and it's like valve springs. And then, so you'd only have to rebuild that motor maybe twice. Probably never. Like you, you do. Well, you got to remember, we do have a couple of those long races in the season. So. Yeah, but That's still, I don't, on them, you know? mileage wise, it should be about the same. Okay? okay. It actually might be a little bit less than a normal season. But like, if you look at it, the GSXR 750, they never had to rebuild a motor. Josh Heron's <clears throat> championship bike, they never had to rebuild a motor. Wow, they did tear wild. that motor yeah. down one time late in the yeah. season. And Teague told me the thing looked absolutely amazing. Because if you great. think about it, you, you, you're only running at a certain percentage of throttle, right? Like, you're, they're not 100% throttle. They had to t- detune that bike to make it legal for next gen. So let's just say they're running 80% throttle. So you're not really killing that bike, right? Like you're not really, really crushing the thing. Same thing with this 800 um, MV Augusta. They take power out of it. The GSXR 600 is still homologated. Uh, the 750, obviously. Then you have the the Daytona, the Triumph Daytona 675R and the ST 765RS. That's kind of the you know they don't make a fully fared version of that, right? And then you have the R6, and you know the R6 There's is a lot the of one bikes there. A lot of bikes, yeah. Next gen, and we expect more bikes to come in. I think it's it's intriguing. Uh, about the Honda situation. I, I made some calls to American Honda to ask if they had plans to bring this bike in. Everybody's been type, tight-lipped about it on the Honda side of things. If I had to say, if they're bringing it in to sell it, you know, this new CBR 600, I would say no, just based yeah. on the sales that Honda's used to from the early 2000s with street bikes and the fact that what they're doing with the CBR 1000. But Jay, I'm just curious. Okay, let's go back to the CBR 600. There is a possibility that there is a team that's going to bring one of those over here and race it at Daytona. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what do you think about CBR 600 next generation stuff, having an F3 in there, maybe triumph back in action. I don't know, you know, that won the Daytona 200 last year. What do you think about all the super sport stuff? Because this has undertones to me of what's going to happen here in the next 10 to 15 years with even Superbike. You know, it's Greg, when I start thinking about 10 to 15 years, it's too far away from me. I think that right now we're in a transitional stage. I mean, you have to remember, middleweight sport bikes were the thing not that long ago. And then when manufacturers started building the thousands with all these killer electronics, electronics took over the world. That's essentially what it was. I mean, it was back in the day where manufacturers would build these incredible chassis and it was up to us to sort them out suspension wise, get them, get them working. Now that electronics age has come in, it has made thousands so much better, so much easier to ride this and that. that it, it, and again, it goes even back, Greg, to, to the Twins class. When we started the Twins Cup in Moto America, it was like SV650s and FZ07 Yamahas. And now look where that's gone. You got Aprilia, you, you got the R7. Um, you, so everything continues to evolve. And I think that the fact that even that you told me, okay, so... When, when Steve English got off the plane, a, you know, a week ago, a week and a half ago, um, and I saw that Tara McKenzie was not going to ride in BSP, I didn't know where he was going. I didn't know anything at this point. And Steve says to me, yeah, he's, 
going to go to World Supersport on a Honda. And I went, huh? Like, yeah. why would you do that? Like, I, you know, I didn't know there was a new bike. I didn't know anything. And by the way, tip of the cap to Taryn McKenzie. He's, what is he, three or four-time BSB champion and taking a chance to go to World Supersport. But, man, it is an exciting class right now, both in World Supersport and I think in our Supersport class here in Moto America, for the sheer fact of all the bikes that you just named off. Now, you sit there and you talk about the Triumph that's won at Daytona. Again, Greg, having these uh, having the ability to choose all these different bikes is great. But you need support. You need mm-hmm. people that know these bikes or people that can have enough funding to where they can pay the right people to help them get bikes up to speed. The MV Agusta, it won, I believe it won this year in uh, World Supersport. Um, it did, late, late in the season. Didn't Thule win? Yeah, I think yeah, I thought he, he did. One. Yeah, sure did. And then Stefano Manzi won on a Triumph this year. And I heard, you know, now we see that Thule is going over to that team. I think he's going over to where Monzi was. Don't know where Monzi's going to do yet. But again, Triumphs, MV Augustas, now you throw Honda into the thing. You know, with Midori's team, um, they've got, you know, a two-rider world superbike team. Now they're going to have McKenzie. And I'm not positive on this, but I thought that maybe McPhee was going to maybe be the other rider there. I I don't know if that's fact, Hmm. but I think there was going to be two super sport world super sports. And Steve would probably slap me once he hears this. Cause I, I think I read that it was going to be McPhee somewhere. Uh, I could be wrong, but anyways, and then you've got, of course you got the R6. It's proven GSX-R750 here in America has to make a step. Uh, We saw Chris Orch and the whole M4 team last year take on that project. We saw a couple privateers taking on that project. It's going to have a year under its belt now. They've probably learned a ton. They're probably going to be more ready now for that GSX-R750 to be more competitive this year. So, you know, all in all, G-Dub, the middleweight class that if you were to literally say two years ago, three years ago, well, it's dead. All these manufacturers are stopping producing <laughs> middleweight bikes. It's quite the opposite now, isn't it? It is. And I think that's that's more the trend. You know, if you look at the numbers provided by the Motorcycle Industry Council about what's going on, you can see that yeah. the younger the younger people are going more for the smaller displacement motorcycles. You know, the, yeah. the, the leader bikes don't sell a ton in terms of like, if you look at the level of which Honda, Suzuki, Kawasaki, Yamaha sold leader bikes in 2007 yeah. versus what Ducati, BMW, these, these other companies, they are, their, their sales are increasing, but their sales are increasing from the low numbers that they had. When you look at a company like Honda, they can never get to that level of, of leader bikes. So they've kind of abandoned that class and they look to what makes them money. And right now, clearly side-by-sides are making people money. They're, yeah, they're selling yeah. side by sides like hotcakes for a company like Honda, for instance, you know, they're making them in South Carolina and it makes a lot of sense, you know, American made product and blah, blah, blah. And people are buying them. So why focus, why put your energy on sport bikes? So now we see these right. companies like your triumphs, your BMWs, your Ducatis right. that have had lower sales. It, 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 it has an advantage and has a benefit for them because they're still selling bikes. And I, and I, I actually kind of like that transition because you're seeing the innovation come from these companies, even on the dirt bike side of things or street bike side, you see KTM, they, they're, they're smaller, they're more agile, right? Like they can, they can make adjustments. I can't imagine how much it costs a company like Honda, who, by the way, is the largest combustion engine manufacturer in the world, period, yeah. Wow. right? Yeah. Can you imagine how much it costs for them? to pivot and make a small amount of 
CBR 1000 RR RR right. SP2. Right. right, like to make to, to import less than a hundred of those to the to the U.S., it must cost a lot of money. Yeah. So you have companies that are can see the return on investment from a lower volume, lower numbers, and so I love the fact that the rules that they're making now for these next generation bikes still allow the older bikes to be used. Where I believe in World Super Sport, they're going to phase those out, but they'll still be the ZX sixes, ZX six yeah. R's, and the GSXR six hundred still be allowed. Um, and then including the next generation bike, because it takes a lot to balance those bikes, but I think they're doing a good job. Now, what I did here is we're recording this on Wednesday, December 14th. And I hear you tomorrow, the announcement's going to be made about Josh Heron and the Warhorse team. Is he going to be staying in super sport is if he is, he's going to be running the number one plate. Is this, uh, who is it? Chavi Forez, I think is yeah. what the story came out. December 6th or something in Moto America. Is he going to be on Supersport? Is Josh going to Superbike? Is Chavi Forez going to Superbike? We talked about it last week's podcast. That'll all be decided. So we'll talk about that on next week's podcast. But I think the balancing that they've done, even though Heron was famous for complaining about, oh, I don't have enough horsepower, this and that, but yet he won more races and won the championship. So I think the balancing is really good. I think they come up with a formula. And the biggest thing is these manufacturers are seeing how the balancing is working and it makes sense for them. If, if racing evolves with what the market demands these weird bikes these 700 cc triples and 900 cc triples and you know like it's just doing something else because the consumer's driving it then you've got to adjust racing and let the past go yeah and i think that that's the neat thing about this class and you know the other thing too g-dub is the reliability of all these bikes you know like we saw the reliability of the ducati all year and it allowed josh to go on and win that championship and i think it's like that across the board, though. You're not seeing in any of our classes, to be fair, you don't see a lot of mechanicals during races anymore. Like that's an equation that seems to have been taken out of things. And it's the reliability of motors um, and the way the rules packages, uh, what they allow the bikes to have has made the bikes more reliable. You look at a company like Triumph. When Triumph got signed on to do Moto2 three years ago, whenever, whenever it was, I remember being at a table with a group of friends laughing about, man, how many times are these Triumphs going to explode? And to be fair, <laughs> yeah. they just don't. And if you look at what Triumph has done and you think, this is Triumph. This isn't a company. If if you if you ask anybody to go ahead and name off, give me six manufacturers, Triumph's always going to be the fifth or sixth or seventh one that they're going to that they're going to think about. You know, everyone's going to go with the big four off the bat. Then they're going to think about Ducati and, you know, Triumph's, always going to be in the back. Triumph just announced they're going to have a motocross team. Um, how about that? Forward in, 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 World, in, in World Supercross. And you sit there and you think, how great is that? And if you saw the photo of that, the photo, the thing that improved, impressed me the most, if you see the people that are involved in that process uh, or in that project, Dave, uh, Dave Arnold's in that project, um, who was very, very famous mechanic, crew chief, um, lead guy at Honda for so many years. And if you look at Ricky in that photo, he looks like he's ready to go racing. He is so skinny and looks so fit that that tells me that they've probably been testing quite a bit. And I bet you Ricky has obviously been at the forefront of that. And um, I sent him a message uh, this morning, actually, um, you know, just kind of saying, man, you look fit enough, ready to roll, like you're ready to race, you know? So, but, but you look at it and I think getting more and more manufacturers involved is a great thing. And right now in our superbike category, you have Yamaha, you have Ducati as two main teams. You have the M4 team on a Suzuki. Now we've got Titler's BMW 
it's like we if we could continue to see that progress where if we can get a new manufacturer a year, if we could get a Honda to somehow step in, or if we can get Kawasaki to step in or something like that. I mean, it is it is it is nice to see, but the world super sport rules I, I'm excited for it. And for Taryn McKenzie to go to that series as a BSB champion, I, I applaud him because he wants to get to a world level. And I don't think that the MEI Honda project, superbike wise, would have been a better option for him. I think that if he's got the opportunity to jump on the 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 you know in the world super sport category and be on a team where he can run at the front, uh, and let's just hope that that is the case with that bike because we haven't seen it. I don't know anything about it is in the sense of it. When was the last time we saw a Honda on a grid in world super sports? Probably been three years. Probably. Uh, I, I mean, I know there's been a couple guys. The consumer, I think, rode one for up until a couple of years ago, but it just wasn't competitive. So, yeah, I mean, good for him. So, now yeah, think about it. He's, 20, he's 27 years old. The knock on right. BSB is they don't have electronics. So, it's hard for any team to justify taking a BSB champ and plugging him right into Superbike because of the learning curve. <clears throat> We're in a yeah. day and age where it's like, you know, I mean, look what happened in GP. Look what, you know, look what happened to the, to, to, Raul Fernandez and to Remy Gardner, right? Boom. Yeah. Spit out yeah. one season. It's like, if you're not performing right away, eh, you know, so that's the day and age we live in. So Correct. this is a great way for a 27 year old to get into world Superbike, get into the paddock, start to make a name for himself, learn a little bit about electronics. I mean, even the new CBR 600 has like for a 600 J, it has all the, all the EMU stuff that you want. It's got an advanced EMU. It's got traction control. It's got launch control. It's got like all this stuff built into its stock. So we'll see yeah. what the rules what the rules say, but you know, I mean, dude, winglets, you know, on a on a six hundred, is that entirely necessary? Right. I, I don't know if it's. I mean, obviously, it's downforce and stuff. I mean, six hundreds right. are still capable of doing wheelies, but a stock one. So yeah. it's it, it's it's great to see that even the name Honda is back in into road racing a little bit in terms of world super. Is it ever going to happen in the States? I doubt it. I don't see Honda ever coming back to road racing in the States. We have a new generation of, of worker at Honda. I mean, I would love to see him. I'm, I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but right. if Honda gets in, it's going to have to be through a Jeff May and through a little bit more support and to build. And yep. what it really needs is the road bike market to rebound. And I don't know if, if 1000 CC motorcycles with more restrictions that are coming up with more things that, you know, electronics and stuff. I mean, you know, now you have insurance companies, Jay, that are like, hey, if you plug this device into your car and we can track everything you do and we can show people that you're not speeding and you're not doing this, you're not doing that, we'll give you a discount on insurance. And people yeah. are actually doing it. They're doing Crazy, it. Yeah. They're plugging this stuff in. Well, we live in a day and age now. Engagement, Jay, man. It's engagement. It goes right back to what we talked about. Yeah. People want to be engaged it, with I things have, all the time. I have a 2021 Kia Forte. Okay. $27,000 yeah. car, blah, blah, blah. I have an app that I open up and I can say, lock my, lock my doors, start my engine. Yeah. How many miles? It tells me how many miles I have left on the tank. Yeah. It tells me how close I am to my service interval. That's, That's all information yeah. that goes directly to Kia. So you know yeah. that they can track you and do all this kind of stuff. How soon is it till the next little bit of legislation comes in, next little bit, and 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we're all regulated. No one's going to be able to speed. You'll automatically get issued a ticket if you yeah. You know what I mean? And so like I, I can see the appeal. There, there, there are fewer places to ride wide open with a 1000. If you want the motorcycling experience, do you need anything more? No. You know, I went out on yeah. a ride Monday in California, Jay, and I was on a 1000cc based street bike. 
Yep. And I had my option of a 650 and a thousand and it started to rain and I was in the full blown wide open mode. Didn't familiarize myself with the bike. I just jumped on it and rode it. Didn't know how to change the map. Yeah. And it was a miserable experience. And I kept thinking to myself, man, I wish I jumped on a 650 twin. Yeah. I'd be having a, a load of fun right now. Yeah. It's yeah, not what yeah. I want when I get on a racetrack, right? You and I are in the same boat. I want, give me horsepower. I can manage it. I know how to use my right wrist. Let's go ahead and do this thing and have some fun. But for the average person riding a bike, it seems like that 500 is kind of a sweet spot right now. And that's what sales all indicate. And you can see it from advertising. So anyway, it's a thing. We're all, this whole thing is integrated, Jay. Racing is integrated with sales, with racetracks, with all the stuff that we've spoken about. But isn't it nice to still see that? Like it's actually a little bit of a push to me in thinking that we haven't lost the fact that people still are paying attention to racing. And I think more people are paying attention to racing now. Like, like we've seen a continuous buildup for the last however many years. And like, you know, when you look at our series to speak of, it was in a pretty bad spot. And, you know, the progression of Moto America and what it's doing and how it's doing it, it's, they, they try to move along with kind of what the beliefs are of what each class is going to be. I mean, there's, there's a lot of thought process that goes into all this thing and it's so easy to sit and be critical all the time. But I definitely feel like, like our sport in general is getting, it's getting better. I, you know, it's like MotoGP is in a great place. World Superbike, I think it's going to be incredible this next year. World Supersport now. And then of course you look at Moto America with, with some of the things that we've got going and you and I will document that stuff over the next couple months as we get closer to the start of the season. But um, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be good. And you know, the last thing I'll say on it, G-Dub is that we've lost the guys like Mel Harris and Gary Medley and some of these people that were in charge of these big corporations down in Southern Cal, they were in charge of the, of the big manufacturers and they had a serious passion for racing. And, you know, there's a couple of manufacturers now that just don't care about it because they don't have the people in place they care about motorcycle racing. They don't care. No, all they, they do, all they do is you know, look at a spreadsheet, right? Look and at they go, spreadsheets okay, well, and numbers yeah. and that's it. They don't understand it. They don't have the passion for, to go to the racetrack. I mean, it was, you know, back in the day, you would go to a racetrack and you'd see the presidents of these companies at the tracks supporting oh, yeah. the series and this and that. And until you get somebody, you know, whoever is second or third in charge that's moving their way up the ladder there could be those guys that are still involved in racing that's hands are tied and that they can't do anything now. But I think that that racing now is getting more popular again. So it might be a little bit harder for some of these main presidents of companies to ignore that. And, and maybe we'll see some more movement. Look, at Triumph is making such a big push right now in everything. They've seen the the vision of what racing's done for them. I mean, I would guess, you know, when you think about everything that Triumph is actually involved in. And, you know, it's, I said it again. Well, look, there, yeah. There's a reason yeah, why Triumph wants to go world supercross, supercross, right? I mean, yeah, to showcase absolutely. the technology to get in there. It's a huge risk. If you, if you show up with the turd and you, and you're not successful, you're done. That's you know? right. So That's the fact that they're right. putting all this effort into it and, but see, this is where off-road racing or dirt bike racing, right? Motocross, supercross are key. The United States is still the premier place to come racing. Yep. The best in the world come here, barring a few riders, obviously, that we know of, you know, that are, that are racing in Europe. But the development and all that stuff is here. You know, when, yep. when Honda got away from HRC, they really didn't, didn't get much results. They get back with HRC in America. It's the HRC team. You have Kenny Rocks and you start to see success. You have Chase Sexton. You have, you know, yep. the Lawrence brothers, right, running championships for him and all this kind of stuff. 
as part of the HRC program. You have Triumph here in the States with Ricky Carmichael developing this new bike. You know, it's it the US has become important on the on the sport bike market. You know, when when DMG took over in 2009, it ruined everything. You know, yeah. they wanted to kick manufacturers out. Yeah. The importance of the United, you know, they changed Horrible. the rules to more stock rules. There's so many things that that DMG's ownership did to destroy the sport to where we are now, where Moto America is trying to revive it. So Moto America needs to look at, and they are looking at manufacturers that see a value in it. The 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 a company like Honda doesn't see a value in it because now you have people that just look at spreadsheets and they say, well, if if street bikes are declining, that means we don't want to participate. Instead of saying, well, we we've done a case study and we feel that if we do come racing street bikes that we can actually have an impact and increase the sales in street bikes and hell we make them anyway we might as well just import them the 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 the, you know it doesn't feel like from a honda perspective that they're doing that it feels like they're doing this the safe thing it's it's about you know it's it's the safe thing where like i said you have companies like ducati like bmw their sales are increasing because their numbers back then were so low so they're seeing a value in it and that's why they're coming to the sport and they're interested in it the titlers and you know, the fact that Warhorse is around and has Ducati in here is creating value for Ducati. Ducati North America sees the value for sure. Like you said, Jason, we've seen the president of Ducati North America at yep. the races at least two yep. or three times during the year. Yep. Yep. It's so great. exactly what you're talking about. Um, how about some other news items, Jay? If you want to, you know, dive into any other news stuff. There's some well, testing going on. Yeah, right? I was just going to say there's some testing going on in Jerez, but it looks like they've been kind of, the weather's kind of played, uh, you know, Apart now, I think it was Top Rack and Locatelli. Uh, I think the Honda boys were there. Although I didn't see if Lekawona was riding, Greg. I and you know, maybe you can read up on that real quick. I'm on right now. I'm 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 on Bike Sport News and and having a look at it. But uh, and then I know Garrett was making his debut on the BMW. But like I said, the weather looks like it's been kind of crap over there. Yeah, so I, I don't, don't know how much, much from yeah. it because of that right now. Yeah, although I I, it looks one like of the teams something, like. I think Honda packed up their stuff and said, now we're good. We don't really Did need they? to. Well, you only get so many test dates. So you've got to be careful. You get eight total test dates. So there are teams, and I know Alex uh, Lowe's and I have talked about this, where he'll just test for half a day, and then that means he has a half a day still, you know, that he can go test somewhere or do something. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's kind of a strange deal. But, um, but yeah, it just looks like the weather in Jerez hasn't been its best for all of them. No, there is a so, little news item on crash.net that was interesting talking about money. And it was, it was, uh, posted yesterday and it was like KTM bosses have, have basically said that it costs somewhere between 60 to 75 million that. Euro to have some success in MotoGP. That's yeah. Crazy, it, it's amazing huh? how many people take that number for granted and how much these manufacturers are putting into it because we aren't seeing a ton of, of outside support compared to say, you know, like a formula one or whatever. But right. the other thing, too, is did you see that Quattararo and Davizioso, more Quattararo, injured themselves motoing? Did you see yeah, that? Yeah, but Dovey really, really Dude, jacked Dovey's his wrist up. Wrist if you look was, at his photo, a, oh, oh, took a right turn. It was not good. Yeah, it oh, wasn't good. It was really and bad. They said it was compound. I don't know, you know, but uh, I mean, if they say it's compound, it must have been compound fracture. And it's, man, really, really, I mean, brutal. Um but it's the old motocross thing again. It's it just is what it is. Did you see the article that says that um, KTM has come out and says that they're not going to replace their young riders after a year anymore? And they're you know they're talking about Augusto Fernandez, and I'm sitting there thinking, like there's some things that manufacturers should just not say. Just just like 
it's almost like admitting, yeah, we kind of screwed over Raul for uh, Remy Gardner this year and, and Raul Fernandez this year, we kind of screwed them over. And it's, I don't understand. I mean, look, Remy Gardner won a world championship for them and they like, for whatever the reasons are, they got rid of him after a year. I don't know if it has something to do with some of the, you know, you never know what happens behind closed doors. Right. Yeah. But why would you guys at KTM come out and say like, Hey, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do this anymore. We're not just going to get rid of people after one year. Uh, it's weird. It's weird that you make that statement. I mean, it's weird. We all kind of know it. So good for you for coming out and saying it. Uh, on Crash.net, too, Peter McLaren has an article talking about uh, talking to Lynn Jarvis from Yamaha's MotoGP team. And they were talking about the power plants. And I mentioned on last week's podcast that the, the train of thought was that the latest motor they developed started to blow up. And that, which is true, it started to grenade itself, that they went back to like the 2020 motors. Because if you remember 2019, or there was a freeze on engine development in 2020, basically like the 19s and 20 had to remain the same because of COVID and everything. So they went Mm -hmm. to new motors. Lynn Jarvis said that that's not exactly true. Basically what they had done was they had created that new power plant for 2022, but it was having reliability issues. So they, they tuned it back to make sure it had reliability issues. So Mm. whether it's a new motor and it was the same horsepower or not to me is kind of irrelevant. The fact that you have to go backward but if you remember, they hired this this dude from Formula One who's come in and looked at the motors and stuff. And it's been part of why they were able to keep Quadraro around because a lot of people thought they just, you know, how do you keep Quadraro at Yamaha when I'm sure he was is being asked by everybody to come race for them. Yeah. And uh, it's that promise of, of more horsepower, of more power, more power. So you have basically a couple more months of development. When you get to February... They've got to lock the engines in for the year and they're going to be set. So what happens at the next official test? I think in Sepang is where it happens normally, right? Yeah. Um, when they go to Sepang sometime in February and lock those motors in, I'll be keeping an eye on the top speeds of those and the performance. The guy's name is Luca Marmarini, who hmm. they brought over. Uh, you know, he's in Ferrari and a couple other groups. And he's working. The Italians are assisting the Japanese in developing more horsepower. And the thing that Lynn Jarvis said was, and I've been saying this for quite a while, as you know, why is Yamaha staying with the inline four? They're getting rid of the R1. The inline four looks like it's kind of at its end of its life. I see a V4 in the future. I still do on the street bike side, but Lynn Jarvis said we're sticking with the inline four cylinder because he feels, as does this engineer from Italy, that the inline four still has a lot of potential to unlock. So they want to, you know, they know how to put an engine inside a frame that handles an inline four cylinder. We know the thing's a razor blade, right? Like the, the M1 turns incredible. It's like, I think that Suzuki proved to Yamaha that they could build an engine in inline four <clears throat> that can be competitive with the V4s of everybody else. Mm-hmm. So Suzuki's last little, last little, you know, salvo on the way out that they didn't even know about was keeping Yamaha in line, in line four. Mm. Yeah, the future MotoGP program with Yamaha, I think, is going to be critical. You yeah, know, I what do they're too. going to do. Yeah, and I so think that hopefully, uh, hopefully they'll have success. And yeah, that's yeah, crazy. I mean, it's it's again, it's crazy to see kind of where they're at, where they're going to go moving forward. It seems like everybody's making big, big strides, and you just got to hope that they are going to do the same. Do you think that Garrett Gerloff will have a smooth transition to the BMW? 
I mean, if you saw the video this morning posted on his Instagram page or whatever, wherever he posted it up, it was like a completely different sounding motorcycle from a Yamaha, of course, you know, with yeah, the, of course, with the crank and everything else they do. But do you think that he'll have an easy transition into that? I mean, Garrett's been on a Yamaha since we've known him. My answer right, to that, from R6s like, to R1s. Like, what I'm going to answer and what I'm hoping are kind of two of the different things. Okay. I don't think it's going to okay. be an easy transition. I don't think it's going to be. I think that the BMW is still a work in progress, even though they're putting a lot into it. The BMW is not as refined as what the Yamaha is currently. Okay. So when you look at what the Yamaha is and how it's been able to run up front and how multiple riders have been able to get up front on that bike, you know, Garrett's been up front, Locatelli's been up front, obviously Top Rack winning championships and being up front. Um, I think that when you look at that, the Yamaha is definitely more refined. And it is no different than saying, you know, when Scott Redding went from a Ducati to a BMW, was that going to be an easy transition? You saw how difficult it was. Now, I think that the bike is better now than when it was when Scott got on it, talking about the BMW. Um, it's going to also going to be how much data are they collecting between the riders that they have? and how much of that's going to be usable amongst each rider and how they're going to be able to work together to try to get the bike more to the forefront. So I think that the transition, is it going to be easy? I'm going to say that it's not going to help that they're having rainy days right now. They need dry days so that he can get out and ride it. Garrett's talent to me is not questioned as far as a motorcycle rider goes. The question is not, can he ride a bike? We all know he can do that. The question is, is can he get past the mental side of things that he's having to deal with right now that, that, has been a huge problem for him um, ever since the, you know, uh, basically a couple of years ago when he ran into Johnny and he ran into top rack. And I mean, now he's got a fresh start with a new team. Did you see the video of him getting taken over to BMW? Did you see that video? Mm-hmm. They've, they, they've got him on like a, not a forklift, but kind of like yeah, a thing the, the, the hand truck. Forklift thing. Yeah. 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 The hand. Yeah. And they, like it's a special <laughs> delivery from Yamaha and they, they ride him over to the garage at BMW and, you know, it's kind of, that was his way of getting in, which I thought was cool. Um, did you like that? Did you like that? I just think it's funny. You know, it's like something you probably wouldn't see anywhere else, but it just goes to show the respect that he has. I mean, people like Garrett. He's not, he's a great guy. He's a great guy and we all want to see him do well, but, and, and this might be the thing that helps him though, you know, um, being able to get on a bike and try to figure out the pitfalls of it and getting it up to speed, it it could really work in his favor in the sense that right now his stock would appear uh, when you look at the list of riders over there, his stock would appear to be a little bit low right now. So anything he does, I think is going to be, it's going to be really good for him. So I'm hoping also he gets think the fact quickly that on it. Eugene Laverty is now a team principal over there, right? A great a key component of the Bonovo team. I think that his insight as a racer on the mental side of things could be the yep. key. You know, maybe it's that you go to Garrett Gerloff and you say, Hey man, you don't ride for Yamaha anymore. Okay. Correct. If you go in and clean out the championship points leader, we don't give a shit. Go out yep. there and race your, go race your nuts off or whatever it's going to be to get him over the hump. I agree. The talent undeniable. He's got the yep. talent. 100%. It's, yeah. He can ride. How do we, we get his, how do we get that lap one situation? How do we get, how do we get the old Garrett back a little bit? You know, like, yeah. and we saw a little bit of that towards the end of the year. Like he started to get his race face on and he was starting to do a lot better. I think he had a couple rides at Phillip Island that were pretty good. I, I, you know, the thing is, is it's, um, it's just going to be a matter of, of Garrett. I mean, you just got to get his brain back in the spot that it needs to be in and, um, and, and go from there. So yeah, we'll see. 
All right. Well, we know that a lot of you tuned in because you wanted to hear Cameron Peterson uh, or thought from last week's show. We're going to have Cam Peterson, but unfortunately, I, I couldn't get a hold of him. He is the worst with text messaging. So hopefully we'll get him before Christmas. We'll get Chuck Axon on the podcast, talk about what Moto America's direction is going to be. Uh, maybe talk about some rule changes and things like that. GP1 posted a, a Twitter article that was up there that would talked about um, the superbike transmissions and the two bike rule, things that we've talked about before. And they had a quote in there from Chuck Axlin. So I'm going to call Chuck and see if he actually talked to a reporter from GP1 or if they got that from bits and pieces from somewhere else. Because I didn't see it posted with Moto America. But I know that the Moto America rule book, the official rule book, should be coming out soon, hopefully by Friday of this week, possibly. Okay. That's yep. going to give us a little bit more insight as to the changes in, um, uh, well, Superbike stuff. We pretty much know what's going on in Superbike. You know, uh, Super Sport's not going to change much. But the Mission King of the Baggers has some big changes coming in the rule book, Jay. Most of that is designed around trying to contain how much money Indian and Harley Davidson are spending. Yeah, because the old blank check thing isn't really working out so much. And so it'll also help the privateer or the aftermarket people that are not Harley Davidson, not Indian, that want to create parts that you can buy and bolt on your motorcycle and make it competitive in Moto America and to give other teams other chances. So that that's going to be very interesting to me to go through that and to see what changes are being made and how it's going to benefit both the cost cap. They're not instituting a cost cap necessarily, I don't think, but just the things that they're not going to allow anymore. I mean, you talked you talked to Kyle Wyman. I you know I think yeah. the first the first year Harley Davidson must have created something like seven to eleven different swing arms or something, you know, working on that bike. Can't imagine the design cost and the machining cost and all that kind of stuff to develop all those one-off swing arms. That type yep. of stuff is going to be, I think, kind of muted a little bit and rein those things in because those bikes have got to be upwards of 100, 120K each. Right. Factory bike. Right. Yeah. Have to no, they got, they got to be, man. And it's, uh, maybe when you, when you, it's so, it's so funny. I mean, GW, just look at the lap times those guys are doing. It's ridiculous. It's like it's insane. so insanely fast, and you know when you when you start to move forward, the development time that those teams have put into those bikes, it's uh, it's pretty intriguing. So um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to the rules. I can't I can't believe it's going to be Christmas in a week and a half or whatever it is. It's pretty wild to me that we've just blown through yeah. this year as quickly as we have, and I know how it works. You know, January is always. Everyone's got A1 on the brain, you know, Supercross, A1. And from that point, next thing you know, it feels like it's two weeks later, Daytona is there. So, you know, we're 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 zipping through this offseason. And, um, you know, it's neat seeing all these announcements of riders going here or there, moving around, manufacturers getting involved. We didn't have a lot to talk about today when we started this thing, but we, we got an hour in, G-Dub. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to next week. I'm finally going to get to relax. It's been a pretty gnarly like two or three weeks for me work-wise and uh, traveling-wise and things. So I'm looking forward to getting home next Monday night and being able to to relax a little bit to the new year. Yeah. While we were talking, I got a tech from Alonzo Bowden. So we're definitely going to lunch tomorrow. And then I travel Christmas Day going up to the Cape to see the mom for a couple of days. Love so that. I a little bit of yeah, travel cool. left. But I do want to say this, and this is, this is hashtag no sponsor, no plug, but I was at an event on Monday and, you know, something I can talk about in January, but it was, it was a good event, but I will say this Cardo systems was there, Jay, and they have yeah. their news. They have a new system out. It's called the pack pack talk edge. Yeah. And, you know, I ran that, the pack talk, like, uh, the whole Greg's ride of the races, you know, two years ago or whatever, and really enjoyed it. 
But this new system goes from Bluetooth 4.0 to 5.2 and has like 20 or 30% more volume than the old system did. Dude, I'm telling you, I put the thing on, like turned it on, directly connected it to my phone and played music. And it is so unreal. It is so so unbelievable. Let me stop you real quick. The Cardo system is something that Corey uses sometimes at the one-on-ones that we do. And the Cardo guys have been super cool. Great guys. When you called me from the motorcycle the other day, I didn't even know you were on a bike. Yeah. I had no clue. And I was, and I was on the highway. I was on the highway. You're on the, you're on the highway and like you were hitting bumps and you're like, Oh, sorry, Jay, if my voice is bouncing around because (laughs) I'm hitting these bumps getting on a transition from one freeway to the next. And I'm like, I was like, are you on your bike? Like, yeah. So whatever system it is you're using, I mean, hundred percent. I, and again, Cardo, I don't do anything with Cardo, but the system itself was maybe the first time I've ever heard somebody calling me from a bike where there was no like, yeah, I, w- I would like to uh, incorporate nothing, right? A and bit and here's the other school. thing, Jay. It's pretty great. I was on a I was on a GSX one one thousand, no yeah. windscreen, nothing, no wind. Pr- it was literally just instrument cluster. Like there's nothing there. So I was I was out in the wind. The reason I mention it is just because was I the just power- hey, up. Greg was was the power scaring the shit out of you. No, it wasn't scaring the shit out of me. It was just on A mode, and A mode sucks. As soon as I put, okay. as soon as the other journalists at lunchtime were like, "Oh yeah, you should ride this in B mode," the bike was uh-huh. so amazing. It was less like twitchy, and yeah. Anyway, yeah, good. Like yeah. I'm not. I don't want to poop on the bike. I mean, it's it's a really capable motorcycle for sure. But in the rain, I was like, "You gotta be kidding me!" Stop laughing, you jackass. Anyway, what I'm saying is, if you want a really good gift for somebody who rides a motorcycle, they're like 390 bucks, I think, for the. For the Pack Talk Edge, yeah, I'm going to get a hold of those guys. I'm going to get a hold of them because I'd Dude, like to go look at it. I was yeah. so blown away, and trust me, the old system I, I liked. It, it, it had a couple little downfalls to it. Uh, battery life was one thing. It was like so when I did the ride to the races, Jay, I had I had four units. Two were paired together: A1 and A2, and then B1 and B2. So what I would do is I would have one connected in the helmet, another one in the back in the ba- tank bag that was connected yeah. to the GoPro, so I could actually speak through the Cardo right into the thing. I had to have two though because I was generally riding ten hours a day, and so I'd have to switch at some point. This new unit also, I think they were telling me it's something like an eleven or twelve hour battery life on top of it. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Like like in, in conditions yeah. and stuff. I'm a huge yeah. fan. Absolutely no sponsor. I just wanted to say, look, if you're looking for a no, special gift for somebody, and they have you know like on bike communication stuff. The new pack talk edge is a huge jump. Just that, just that Bluetooth four Oh to 5.2. And then they have these JBL speakers. They came out with a couple of years ago. And honestly, I got, I bought some off the internet and put them in. Didn't notice much difference, but now there's tunability for those, those That's speakers. Cool. If you have them, the other well, thing good. too, is that when you put the unit on the old one would snap into place. This one has got a magnet. You basically just toss it on there. And it magnetically boom, boom, and then locks into place. So you still have That's to great. push a button to take it off. But this is a little touches, man. Big advancement. Yeah. So anyway, if you're looking for a good Christmas gift for your, somebody yourself, maybe good thought. But yeah, Jay, that was funny. You're like, you're like, dude, are you on a motorcycle? I'm like, are yeah. you on a bike right now? You're like, yeah, I'm riding down wild. the 101, so, bouncing around. Pretty, pretty wild, pretty wild. Well, hey, everybody out there, thanks for listening, and uh, we're looking forward to. We'll get back next week. We'll have something coming up. Next week, hopefully you enjoyed the show today. G-Dub, have an awesome weekend. I'll talk to you after the weekend or before, obviously. And uh, we'll talk with you all soon. Be safe, everyone.